Blog Talk Radio. This is that feeling that you get right before you pull into the water box or right after you do your burnout. Check them straps. Roll your neck a little bit. Take a couple deep breaths. You're bumping it in. And you let go. Well, this is the time at the bottom and you know you crushed it. You get the 500 foot out and you start beating the pedal out of that thing. You get to the finish line, you knock them, drop them. Whatever you do, <laughs> this is that feeling right here. Founded in 1968, Sassy Racing Engines, your supercharged Hemi Superstore, has become the preeminent builder of not only Hemi tractor pulling engines, but drag racing engines as well. Their engines have won over 40 NTPA Pro Pulling League championships, including the 2014 East Coast Pro Comp Association Drag Racing Championship. Can't find what you're looking for? Be sure to check out their large inventory at www.sassyracingengines.com or give the shop a call at 603-529-2814. Thoughts, comments, or opinions stated, expressed, or implied are not necessarily those of Wheels Up Radio or its sponsors. Take care now. Bye-bye then. Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Reels Up Radio Live, presented by Sassy Racing Engines. We are going to be talking tonight about the season finale, and God knows there's a lot to talk about what happened at Pomona this past weekend. Uh, We're going to be doing just that. We're also going to have joining us a fine group of hosts. You may have heard of all of them before. We'll introduce each and every one in just one moment. You know, um... We got a lot of stuff to go on, go over tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking to Kent Hanley at 7:30. Shane Westerfield is going to be joining us at 8, and then at 8:30 we were lucky enough to uh, reconnect with Steve Parsons. He was supposed to come on Monday night. Got the time a little goofed up. Nothing major. We make it happen. Because you know what? That's what we do. Um, just want to remind everybody while we're thinking about it, we are going to be off next week for Thanksgiving. But uh, fear not fans of the Wheels Up Radio world, we're going to dig into the archives and choose a fine selection to play just for you. But for now, we are so glad that you were able to tune in and check us out live. And with that being said, I would like to take this moment to introduce our host for this evening. The always imitated, never duplicated, hardest working man, in all of Don 90 racing. Can we take a guess at who it is? Tick tock, guess. That's right. It's Rob Keister's on with us tonight. Good evening. Fine, sir. Oh, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen of Wheels Up Radio and uh, everyone out there, and also to Chris and Mike. Glad to be back. 
for at least a week until uh, hopefully we get a paid vacation next weekend when we're off. So I don't know if that's in the budget or not. So we'll have to say. Uh, uh, well, I'll have to consult with my financial people, and we'll, we'll our people will contact your people in uh, six to eight weeks and let you know. Um, uh, I also good. want to introduce our future legal advisor, all-around great person, many-time visitor, interviewer, conversationalist, and somewhat New Englander now. Of course, I'm talking about Kelly Kondratik. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Um, wow, my resume is growing, but I can't say any of those things are necessarily here to stay, so we'll see. <laughs> I think the key question that I need to ask you right now is Craig Michaud texting you and talking about making him a sandwich. No, no, he didn't do that yet. Um <laughs> Uh, but he's right. I mean, I could, if I like lifted a little more weight, a little more frequently, I could probably throw a rock at his house. We, I live on his side of the, uh, of the city now, so I live in the North Shore. So. Well, we had we had a conversation about him texting you when you were on the show uh, Saturday night at Lauren Culture and uh, Tyler Small's wedding in uh, Maine that we had the opportunity to go to. So it's kind of always a good time talking with Craig. Yeah, I saw pictures of their wedding. Um, congratulations, Lauren and Tyler. The, I mean, it looks beautiful. Lauren, you're a beautiful bride. Um, I was glad to see some of the pictures, and it was cool to see everybody, you know, everybody together celebrating that. It was pretty neat. So congratulations. Yeah. I'm sure they're off in some island somewhere, you know, enjoying the sunshine that we don't get here in New England anymore. So. That's right. Yeah, they're actually they're in Grenada. Oh. So. Well. Yeah. So yeah, it was a good time. Um, and of course, I would be remiss in my duties if I did not introduce the uh, the big cheese, the head honcho, the big Kahuna of the Tri-State Stock Super Stock Association. Of course, I'm talking about Mike Buff Daddy Carr. Oh, good evening, Chris and Kelly and Rob and everybody in Wheels Up Radio Land. Hope you're doing well this evening. And, uh, Chris, if I might point out, I will take my vacation pay in the form of a 12-pack of yingling light, please, sir. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, Rob, take care of that for me. All right, buddy? Why, why do I have to oh, take Rob. care of it? Am I the am I, I thought, well what is if well if Kelly's the legal analyst then what am I the financial well I, I don't I don't understand like, well you're the financial you're the financial the manager in the moment because you live in Pennsylvania and I don't I live in Jersey. see we can make this up as we go along <laughs> yeah, well, so but like I said we have yeah 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 we have uh Oh, that's right. You're in New Jersey. You're still closer to Pennsylvania than I am, so you you win by proxy. Uh, Ken Handley's going to join us at 7.30. Shane at Westerfield at 8 o'clock and at 8.30. Steve Parsons. Steve was a last-minute ad, but that's okay because we like to do stuff like that. But one thing that we do need to do before we dive into the exciting 
season finale and other news is our very own Kelly Kondratik celebrated the big 3-5 today. So after a reminder from that, what did I say? Kelly Barbado, it's her birthday. Oh, my God. Kelly Barbado. See, Kelly, see, you know what? I, you know why? Because I didn't do Kelly with an I, Kelly with a Y. <laughs> That's right. So Kelly with a Y, Kondratik, reminded me today that we should sing a, maybe find a little song, birthday song to play for Kelly Barbado. So taking her advice, I searched the Internet far and wide, and Barbado, if you're listening... This is for you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kelly. Barbado. Kelly with I, I said Barbado. Leave me alone. I said it right the third be, time. I think it would be easier for you to just separate them by going Barbado and Kondratic rather than trying to do Kelly with a Y, Kelly with an I, because I think you get too confused. All I right. think it would just be easier for you to do right. Barbado and, and Kondratic. All right. Kelly, that is not with us right now. You will henceforth be known as Barbado. And, and Kelly, that is with us. You will henceforth be known as Kondratik. I think that's fitting, seeing as how that's the name I was born to. <laughs> I there you did go. It. it. It works for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, happy birthday, Barbado. That little ditty was just for you. So, all right, let's get serious. Well, I mean, it's as serious as we can get. Um, one of the things that I did want to talk about, and I mentioned it to uh, Kondratik earlier today, was um young lady, junior dragster racer um, in Australia, uh, lost her life um, tragically this past weekend, um, impacted with um, a wall, it sounds like. I don't know. We don't have the complete story yet. They just kind of put out a um, general um, message, and um, it was in Perth, and they released a little bit more information. Basically, what they're doing now is they're suspending junior dragster racing for the time being um, in Australia at the tracks. So, a lot of people are taking it upon themselves that they're doing... Um, taking pictures of their helmets and posting it um, for this little girl. I believe she was eight years old. Um, Again, passed away over the weekend. I think she's actually getting her license, if I remember correctly. But um, it was interesting a few years ago when Mike and I were actually going to have another gentleman on um, to talk about safety stuff that uh, a few days before our show, a uh, young lady, I think she was about 13 or 14 years old, racing at a dirt track in Florida, uh, passed away from impacting the wall. 
and I, I kind of wanted to turn it a little bit more towards Kelly because she obviously her dad deals with the safety stuff a lot, so she might be a little bit more in tune with the safety aspects of things than some of us are. Um, so, Kelly, you want to kind of dive into this one? Um, yeah, I guess I will. I'll start out by saying, you know, condolences to um, her family and all the racers there, and also um, the young racers here in the United States. You know, we it's, the racing community is kind of connected in that we all have this bond about what we do and the things, um, the fact that we all love it and that we were kind of born into the sport for a lot of us. Um, so I just I want to send my condolences out and also my, you know, to the junior racers that are here in the United States. Um, we're very, very lucky that our motorsport is very well protected and regulated with our safety equipment. Um, that being said, every time we get into the car, we all know this. This is we accept those risks um, that that come with strapping into the car. We all know that this is this is a sport that can and has taken lives. And um, I just want to say that you know I I don't know all the details of this, and I'm sure that her parents did everything they could. They had another daughter that was already racing, did everything they could um, in their power to keep this safe for her. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes God has other plans or whoever you believe in, higher power has other plans for us. And sometimes, um, you know, unfortunate things happen on the track. But I guess all of that to say we do have control over some things. And what we do have control over um, is protecting ourselves to our highest ability. And that's, you know, correctly wearing, every time you get in your car, correctly wearing all of your safety equipment and making sure that, you know, it only takes one little second or one fraction of a moment for something to happen. And, um, you know, we don't know the details, but I'm sure that, um you know, everything her parents could have done, they did do. And we also have that 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 ability when we get into our cars. So, um, you know, I, I grew up in a household that safety was always first. And from the time I was a little girl, um, you know, getting into junior drags, I guess this really breaks my heart because I see so much of myself. Um, I was her once. And... Um, you know, safety was always the first and forefront, um, you know, matter at hand. We always, always, if I didn't feel safe at all, it was it preached into my head, shut the car off, slow down, stop. Who cares if you have to stop in the middle of the track? Just do it, just stop, and it'll get figured out. Because um, even though those kids are incredible, there are some junior director drivers that could um, – you know, put some adult drivers to shame. They're, you know, pretty pretty good at what they do. Um, they're still kids. And, um, you know, we kind of have to help them navigate the safety and set, and set really good, um, I guess, set a good example for them, too. Um, it doesn't look good when junior dragster drivers, and they've learned this 
too, the adults hanging out of the roll cage to look over. And I just, I don't know. I think that's foolish. You can see just as well with your head in the cage. And if you can't, buy a new car. Get something different. Like, there's no reason you should be, I'm sorry, now I'm just getting mad because I, I see all those pictures in my head of these people, like, flying down at these bracket races, you know, a buck 90 at the top end and just hanging out of the car. And like, what are you doing? Actually, what are you doing? Do you have any regard for your own life, potentially the people around you? Just it, it infuriates me. And so I think that each of us has um, the ability to protect ourselves as much as possible when we get into the car. And sometimes, you know, fate has it that other plans take away, but we all can make uh, those choices when we get into the car. So I, I don't know if anybody else has anything to add, but I always came from a safety first household and I know um, that's really just kind of shaped how I do everything. But for instance, um, the day I got in my accident at Lebanon Valley, um, I was rolling up to take the car down. Very first hit that I had in the car, it had already been driven. This is my super compactor, and I've been driven down the track twice by Dunball the day before. And my first pass in it, um, I get up there, and I didn't have any arm restraints on my jacket. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I. For a very split second, I thought to myself, you know, I could just take this pass without them. Like, it's, what does it matter? And that was the pass that I lost my brakes and didn't have a parachute. And so I thank God that I stopped, like, looked around, made frantic eye contact with somebody before I, like, had gotten up far enough away from my trailer and was like, can you get my dad who's back at the trailer to get my arm restraints, because God forbid I had been knocked unconscious, you know, there's so many what-ifs and what could have happened that um, you really just have to think of the safety first. Um, And you can call me too cautious, you can call me a ninny, you can call me, you know, scary cat, whatever, Um, but I assure you that my accident would have completely changed my life had I have not have my safety equipment on and I can't say I don't know to what extent safety equipment was or was not a factor in this poor girl's accident but um, you know I don't even want to speculate that her parents had any less than the most highest consideration of safety for her so um, yeah with that if anybody else has any thoughts about it and love to have a conversation about it Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I was going to say this should be, you know, it's terrible when something, any fatality with any person, regardless of age or gender or anything happens. I think it should be a wake-up call to a lot of us, you know, those that still race, you know, you don't have to be going 170 or more miles per hour. I mean, a fast junior dragster goes maybe in the eighth mile, you know, 70 roughly miles per hour. So things can happen at any rate of speed in any car. So like Kelly said, you know, double check to have 
you have all your required safety equipment and everything and you know be safe each and every time you you go out there and and compete um so mike the fastest they can go is 80 at the eighth i believe i don't think they've changed the rules but there are cars that go faster than that and they only race them to the 330s it's more of like a first to finish type of race um and they only go to the 330s but those cars are wicked fast and can be really dangerous i remember um once when i was you know really young and you know just a couple pounds lighter which made me um i guess more of a desirable driver back then um because the weight really matters in those little things but the crew that was doing the work for me, have prepped the tires, because you prep the tires every single run in this 330 car. And I guess my dad had noticed as I was pulling up to the starting line that um, my wheel wasn't tightened. Like the lug nuts on it were shaking off. And had my dad have not just reached over and shut the car off, I believe we were in the final at that point, and my dad just reached over, shut the car off, and we took, you know, we took runner-up in that 330 race um, because of safety. How stupid could it have been to just take, you know, to even go down there and probably win a race that we could have won because I was a small driver in a very fast car. Um, who knows if I would have even made it 50 feet out before the car just took a hard turn into the wall. You know, it's just, if you put your title before your safety, you're not the kind of person I want to be next to in the lane. I'm sorry. It's just, it's that simple. And I know there's plenty of racers out there that exist and they wouldn't agree with me, but that's fine. You cannot agree with me. I just hope that I never line up next to you. How about it, Rob? I mean, I've said plenty of times on this show, and I'll say it again, is, I mean, you know, I believe that, you know, the safety aspect should be uh, put in 110% no matter what. Um, you know, uh, I, I've I've seen stuff or was that I didn't really agree with at some of the bracket races that I went to this year um, because the track was only running eighth mile. And, uh, you know, and these are well-known tracks. This isn't like, you know, like some rinky-dink, you know, mom-and-pop down-on-the-farm type track. I mean, this is a, a few well-known tracks that are on the East Coast that um, because they felt that they were running eighth mile that they didn't have to wear fire pants in a 450 dragster or um, didn't have to wear, like, arm restraints and stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, all it does is take one tragedy you know, not saying that, you know, it was definitely a tragedy what happened in Australia with this little girl. Um, but, you know, being professionals as we are, you know, we should make sure that everything is there 110%. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if they say that, you know, you don't have to wear fire pants or you don't have to wear the shoes or you don't have to wear whatever. I mean, my car goes 128 miles an hour and 990 super gas. I mean, I still wear a Hans device. Um, you know, unfortunately I saw a I saw a, a gentleman lose his life while standing on the starting line at ACO, uh, seven years ago. And that made me, you know, I pretty much marched myself right over to, to, 
uh, Kelly's dad and bought myself a Hans device right then and there because of seeing that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's little things like that that, you know, make you think about uh, just the safety and how you race and and stuff like that. But, you know, there's also other things that, you know, could also, you know, like you were saying, Kelly, about the, the lug nuts on the uh, the tires. I mean, there was an incident that happened at the Dutch Classic this year with uh, our good friend Don Noblick. I mean, um, anybody who saw it, uh, it was in the lanes. You know, Donnie was rolling down for his, his time shot. And, uh, unfortunately, some of the uh, the bolts actually had come out of the uh, the beadlock and actually out of the uh, center section of the uh, the rim. And he didn't know anything about it. He, he, he was kind of rolling down the hill at Maple Grove. Anybody's ever been at Maple Grove, and it kind of, you know, goes down. And he's going down, and he said it kind of felt like the car was sashaying a little bit and feeling a little weird. And almost, I'd say he was probably four or five pairs from going out for a run, and he asked Kel, Kelly to uh, check his air pressure in his tires real quick because he thought there was something just weird. So Kelly, you know, checked the air pressure in the tires and just happened to look and said, you know, turned to him and said, do you know there's there's like five or six bolts missing out of your tire? And boom, that he pulled right off of the side and we looked down at it and here there was like five bolts missing. Now it's not nothing on Don's, you know, Don's fault at all. Or was it wasn't just something mechanically, you know, uh, you know, was wrong with the, with the rear end and with the, with the rear end housing. Um, you know, it could either, you know, when he did the burnout for the first time, the tire could have just came right out because, um, you know, the way it was, or it could have been down track, but it was one of those things that, you know, uh, just, you know, the safety should be 110% no matter what, you know, if you're going 75 miles an hour, if you're going 330 miles an hour, I mean, you should wear every piece of safety equipment that is available. I mean, you know, even with a Hans device and a poured seat and everything else, does that mean that it's going to make you bulletproof to possibly, you know, losing your life or being seriously injured in a in a crash? No, but uh, it will definitely increase the uh, increase your, I guess, deal for actually surviving it rather than, right, you know, having your belts loose or not wearing something or it was and possibly injuring yourself even more because of stupidity because you're, you're trying to, you know, see where the other driver's at. I just want to add, too, um, each of the safety equipment that we are required to wear have been tested and proven. To, I mean, there, there's a reason that we wear them. There, it's not just because they look cool or – you know, it's just part of my friends is bullshit when people think that these things aren't necessary. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. It's just like, I think, how foolish are you? Like, how much do you not value your own life to choose to wear something improperly, to choose to not wear it at all, to say that it's too much money? You know what costs a lot of money? Medical bills and going to the doctor and <laughs> having to, you know, all these reparations from things that could happen if you're so stupid not to wear your stuff. And, uh, oh, it's just so stressful to me because I, I just think, how can you be so dumb? How, honestly, like, what what is your deal? 
and, and, you know, not to say, again, I want to be very clear and that I'm not speculating anything about this um, poor girl's act. I mean, this is just honestly one of the most tragic things, and I think, you know, again, I just want to be clear that her parents were probably doing everything that they could have done, and there was no um, no saying that it could have turned out differently in it. You know, I just want to be clear about that. I'm not speculating about that situation. But I do know for sure that there are people out there that don't take safety seriously, and they're foolish. Very very well said. And I'll agree with the part you said about you see these pictures that of races where a car, the guy or gal has their belt so loose they can lean forward past the roll cage to try to look and judge to see where their opponent is. And that's to me is just asinine. People I know have said why they had to have something safety gear, and I t- you know on Facebook or whatever, and I tell them it's your ass that's going to get in trouble or possibly if in an accident, I said, you know, what's that worth? You know, what's your life worth? You know, is it worth buying an extra maybe three, $400 helmet and different SFI spec jacket or pants or whatever? Cause it's, if something happens. It's you're going to the hospital, not, not anyone else. So definitely, you know, keep your belts, at least keep your head within the roll cage. But, I mean, but in all reality, if something does happen to you, you could affect the person in the other lane. So not for nothing, you know, you're not the only one affected when you don't take your own safety into your own hands. Um, this could very well turn into an accident that involves two cars. And, I mean, it's not saying that it will and it's not saying that it won't, but you look like a jackass if something happens to your car, you weren't wearing your safety equipment, and you hurt the person next to you, but lots of strikes against you. Agreed. So I'm wondering if Kent is probably on the line right now. That's why Chris hasn't come back. Yeah, we get I him like some kind of like we got to get him like a little like uh, a warning or something, or they going offline. We have to answer the phone. He yeah, like disappears. I feel, I mean, then okay. you'll hear him breathing. <laughs> you'll hear him breathing. That's true. I think he never just wants to like cut me off in the middle. He gets me on a topic that I can talk about for a long time, and then he doesn't want to cut me off to say, "Hey, I'm uh, gonna go get our guest." He just, like, continues to let me rant. I think he did this on purpose. He did this on purpose. He said, Kelly, talk about safety. Stay back. I love to hear you rant. But I know what would really get her fired gonna... up. It would. Oh, Jesus, here we go. I'm telling you right That's now, what? Walter Fate is to talk about – I mean, I know Ken's probably on the line right now, but to get Kelly – Going about the countdown and Steve Torrance. I know, I know that would get her fired up, Brandon. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna say Pop Tarts. 
but whatever. Uh, wait, what did you say? Rob, what did you say? Did you I was going to say... <laughs> I was going to say uh, what would get you uh, fired up would be about the countdown and Steve Torrance. Oh. Oh. All right. With that being said, we're going to grab a commercial break, and we will be back with our first guest this evening. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. (laughs) Just like drag racing, it's all about having the power you need when you need it. It's the same for your business. You need power to keep the lights on and business humming. That's where Power Technologies Electrical Contractors comes in. Your single source electrical contractor for all your industrial, commercial, retail, and fire alarm needs. Proudly serving New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Maine, Power Tech has the staff and the equipment to get your project done on time and on budget. It's all about the power at Power Technologies Electrical Contractors. Call them at 603-898-4223. That's 603-898-4223. Or check them out online at powertechnh.com. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and all people in between. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Kelly Kondratik, because she'll be speaking with our first guest this evening. So, Kelly, if you would be so kind, take it away. All right. Well, tonight we are joined by the man who competes in Division One, but probably travels just as many miles as the guys and girls out west uh, just to compete in races in their division. He travels a lot. Uh, the one who probably will request dessert for the appetizer. And this year's 2017 Northeast Division Super Stock Champion, Mr. Kent Hanley. Hi, Kent. How are you? Great, Kelly. How you doing? And, and you're right. I'll definitely take any dessert I can get. You are Mr. <laughs> dessert, and it cheers me up so much because I – I know whenever I go to dinner and I'm like, I think I want dessert. I know that you're like my number one supporter. <laughs> well, and, and, like, I, and you are so kind. I think it was I think it was Maple Gr- or uh, uh, um, Cecil County this year. You were kind enough to run out and get us a bunch of ice cream so we could have it in the pits later one night. Yeah, I did my research before you guys came because I knew you and Kenny Moses are a big ice cream people, and uh, Marty Jones and you guys were just going to, like, love this place. So I just had to go out and do that because I knew I knew that it was something special. Um, it, it was very much appreciated. <laughs> anytime, anytime. So I said introducing you that you traveled just as many miles as some of the folks out west because some people listening may not know this, but you live in North Carolina, which is technically Division Two. And you compete in Division One, which goes all the way up into Canada, although our divisional races don't necessarily go there. Um, can you explain kind of how you came to that and why that happened, living in one division and competing in another? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've I lived in Connecticut for you know a little over thirty years, and um, you know just. You know, after 30 years, you know, you develop all these great friendships. And, you know, I think that some of your friendships that you have at the racetrack are, you know, better than any other friendships you have. 
And um, <clears throat> last year, in August of, uh, of last year, I took a I had a job opportunity to move to North Carolina and Raleigh in particular. And um, even though I relocated to to Raleigh and I've got six tracks within about an hour and a half of my house, whereas in whereas living in Connecticut, I had I didn't have one track within an hour and a half of my track house. There was still something about you want to you want to race with your friends and and so yeah it may mean that I got to leave a little earlier but you know I didn't want to give up the friendships that I had um, in racing division two um, uh, and give up those friendships it was just that simple I wanted to hang out you know be with our be the division one friends and I love it and enjoy it and and uh, it's it's worth the, it's worth a little extra travel time. I definitely agree. Whenever I heard that you were moving to North Carolina, I looked around and I was like the only person that I recognized that was sad. And I was like, there's something I'm missing here. Like something is definitely up because I know there are so many people that are probably really upset about this. But in reality, you weren't really going anywhere. You were just relocating home base and, and still hanging out with us. So I'm glad that you stick, that you stuck around, that you're still in Division One with us. Um, and in in our racing series, you compete in super comp and super stock. Um, how did you get involved in both of these classes? Um, well, I started as in a stocker. Um, I was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, uh, in at, well, after college, I got transferred by a corporation from Indianapolis to Ohio to Pennsylvania to Connecticut. But I ran a stocker for years. Um, and actually a good friend of mine, Wayne Henderson, got me into it, who owns Indy Gear, Wayne and Janice Henderson. And and what you know, as I after I got into Connecticut, um Don I met Don Sinto and, and Don was letting me drive a super stock car. And I really enjoyed the super stock car and and um so Don asked me to drive a car for him and then we were gonna build uh, a cavalier to run in super stock and, and so I sold my stocker and um jumped in the super stock ride. But it was, it was only like you know after racing it maybe a, a year or so or a couple of years, you realize that the super stock car you can't race every weekend and there's not necessarily and, and especially today, I mean as opposed to today where there's you didn't have all the association races that you have today. Um, I wanted something that I could bracket race on a, on any given weekend and and it was a little more versatile and so, um, so I ended up buying a dragster to go along with the super stock car so. Um, so we'd run up to Lebanon Valley and I could bracket race it and, and run it in super comp. And so it just started to evolve that I wanted more seat time and wanted to drive more cause I loved it. And, and so that's how I got into both classes and, and got the bug to, to keep both of them. So, um, so how many, it's been how many years that you've been doing both? Um, I, we built the, the, the Cavalier in 94, um, and probably, um, it was 90, I guess it was probably, um, probably about 95, 90, 96, 97 that, um, that I, we built the dragster. Um, I think I won my first super comp national event in, I guess it maybe it was 98. Um, I'm not pot, And that was with that dragster that I bought. So I can't remember if that was 97 or 98 that I, that, um, uh, I won that. So it's probably, probably about 90, 90, 96, 97, somewhere around that. Awesome. I, you know, honestly, I felt like it's been a very long time, but I couldn't put years to it. And, you know, now all the years feel like they're kind of blending together. So um, I knew it had been a little while, but that's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> so just, it wasn't that long ago. It was just a couple of weeks ago. Everybody was heading into Rockingham Divisional Weekend, and you were the holder of two seats. You were uh, first in both Super Comp and Super Stock points um, in Division One. So coming down to the end of the season, after you know some people have traveled around and made some moves, um, you know making up that earlier half of the season, people were kind of back working in the back half of the season. Um, you actually ended up second in Division One for Super Comp and winning the championship for Super Stock. So I just really want to congratulate you on that because. That's really incredible, um, and and the fact that you know it may not be posted everywhere that you almost doubled up in in the division. So how does that feel? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, I mean, I've been very blessed. I mean, I can't say you know, I just. Uh, just very blessed and had a phenomenal, you know, got very fortunate and, and uh, had a great season. But, it, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's definitely a team effort, um, you know, going it, you know, with this whole deal. And, uh, I mean, the season in Superstock started off pretty quick for me. I say quick. It hit the brakes real fast in Gainesville because we couldn't even make the first points race because we had a, a leaking head. So I didn't even get to make the first points race, even though I was down in Gainesville. But, um you know, when after leaving Gainesville and going up to Glott and winning up in Glott, you know, that all of a sudden I thought, oh, you know, maybe I've got, I got to look at, you know, chasing these points a little more. And then we went fortunate when we ran to Atlanta, um, had some good success in Atlanta. And I think it was in the, in the semifinals in both cars. Um, and that's when I started thinking, okay, now I got to start traveling and, and going through this process. But um, you know, quite frankly, the super comp thing just sort of fell into it. I was, so, I was more focused on super stock than I was on the super comp. That, um, and I never thought that I would have enough points to to win the super comp. I just, I always felt that, you know, division one's a tough, you know, such a tough group. Uh, and whether it's in whichever cat class you're in. Um, so I really wasn't paying as much attention to super comp as I was super stock, but it just, it just got, I was just very fortunate and blessed that, you know, got help. You know, and um, uh, it, you know the, the point. The points fell where they may, and yeah, I was a little, I was definitely nervous and crossing my fingers and and, and hoping that uh, you know there was about four guys that could move around me down in uh, in, in uh, Rockingham, which including your dad. Um, so I had a family event that weekend with my grandkids. Have a Halloween party every year in that weekend, and so. I couldn't even, even though the track's an hour and a half from me, I couldn't even be down, I couldn't go down the racetrack to even block. Um, so I sort of, fingers were crossed because there was a couple guys in, in uh, super stock that if they run it up or won, they could get around me. And, and so it was one of those nail-biting weekends and you know, I had, you know, uh, Jack and Katie Sapanic were texting me, keep me an update as well. And, and also it was, it was, it was a fantastic season. And, but it's a, it was definitely a team effort. We had, you know, we race with um, what I call our family, which is uh, uh, Jack and Katie and Gail Sapanic, and then Kenny and Debbie, and of course your dad's in there. But you know, we have dinner. Every, we pup, we pit next to each other at every race. We have meal all the meals together. We help each other out. So, you know, it was definitely a, a, a team a team effort. You know, that, that helped us accomplish that. So, um, couldn't have done it without any of them. For sure, you beat me to it. I was going to say, you know, so you travel to the track. A lot of times you'll show up and 
it's you and you're doing both the car thing, but you've got plenty of people on your team and behind the scenes every weekend. Um, and definitely, definitely a family. I can say that for sure. That is completely 100% accurate. Ken Hanley is not a liar, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you, you know, just like you know, go through the season and you look back on, you know, and uh, you know, Jack, Jack and Katie are on the starting line and in the, and in the staging lanes with me almost on every pass. You know, of course, in Supercomp we're all running Supercomp, so we're always always there. But you know, Katie's helping with the numbers and we're comparing notes with each other. And and um, you know, I'm just just very fortunate to have such great friends. And and throughout the season, we had you know, we had some breakage and some challenges and. And next thing you know, you turn around and everybody's helping you. I mean, um, you know, at um, at English Town, I got down to in Superstock, got down to a handful of cars left and lost to Joe Santangelo, and get to the end of the run and the, the motor's spiking is is really hot and and next thing so I look at it and of course it lost all the water. One of the heads had cracked and lost the water in the motor and so um, uh, got towed back. And we had uh, from English Town, we were leaving directly to go to Charlotte for a national event, and then from Charlotte to Maple Grove. And here's an example of how fortunate I am: is as I get back to the pits, and there's Katie, and there's Jack, and and all, and and Leo, Leo Niedermeyer was there to help as well, because he was helping drive the rig back and forth. Um, and uh, you know, I'm telling, okay, the head's cracked, and. So here's Jack and Katie trying to figure out, okay, what do we got to do? Okay, you go catch your flight, and we're going to yank the head, we're going to yank the motor out, and we'll take we'll take the motor over to Gullius and get him to fix it. Or, and I mean, they're putting Katie's car in my trailer to try and see if it'll fit, and it wouldn't fit. So they only realized that, then they they're like, going, okay, what do we do? And heck, you know, we'll just take the car apart here, and we'll take the heads off. And Katie goes, I'll, you know, we'll take the heads off tonight. And he goes, I'll have my, Katie goes, I'll have my Gullius's shop the next morning and have him fix them. And then we'll pick them up on Wednesday before we come to Charlotte. And, and uh, next thing I know is I'm jumping in, in your dad's car with him and your dad's running me to the airport. And why all these guys are working on my car and, and, and doing everything and then bringing it down. And so, I mean, I think that's just a, a perfect example of the type of help and support. And, and ironically earlier in the weekend, on the first qualifying shot, the, I broke the transmission. The uh, the planetary broke, and who's underneath the car helping me? But Jack's a panic. You know, he's underneath the car pulling the transmission out. Katie's handing us wrenches, and so um, yeah, I mean, it's it's impossible to race. You know, that many you know two cars without without some great help and support. But you know, I've got phenomenal friends between Jack, Katie, Gail, you know, Kenny, you know, Debbie, your dad that have always been been there to help. I mean, heck, your dad pulled his, his trailer around because it was dark in English Town. He pulls his whole trailer around, turns on all the outside lights, lights up the whole area so these guys can work on the car. So yeah, I'm really blessed and very, yeah, very fortunate. I have to laugh pretty hard at that because he loves those LED lights. He tells everybody about them. And <laughs> it's really we're, funny. We're and I can totally picture it because he, he absolutely adores them. And then he then he jumps in his little spec or well, I don't know what that guy what kind of car but one of them those smart cars you know his his supercharged turbocharged smart car and we're flying up the garden the the, the Garden State Parkway to get me to the airport to catch my flight in time because I had a, mi- a meeting the next morning that I couldn't miss and uh, you know just you know he was fantastic so I couldn't ask for better help. Oh yeah, that sounds about all of that is very accurate to uh, 
you know, the smart car and the, and Katie running around and doing all the things that she does. Katie and Jack are they're incredible. I can tell that they're such a huge asset to your team. Um, and Gail as well. She's she's a wonderful woman. Um, so you're going to have to forgive me. NHRA, on, of the many things that NHRA may or may not have down, it's their website with the standings on it. So I went to go look and see what, what the world points were and where everything hashed out. Um, and everything is a complete and utter disaster on there right now. It was like some of the points looked like they'd been from last season, but some of them were current to this season. And so, anyways, all of that to say, um, where did you end up in the world? Do you know or do you do you even care I, where you ended I don't, up in the world? Well, I, I, I didn't um... – I don't know exactly where I finished. I, I knew that I fell out of the top 10 um, and uh, I didn't, I didn't want to go to another race. I figured, you know, hopefully I was going to you know, do well in the division and we, we opted on not going to Dallas or Vegas. Um, and so, you know, you just got to draw the line at some point. You can only travel so much in caution. So, so but I don't know where I finished in the world right now. Uh, I know it wasn't in the top 10, um, but I, and I didn't feel like it was worth chasing you know, more, more races and, and all. And, um, I was, it had a long season and drove a lot of miles and I, I think I was sort of combination burnout too, you know? Right. Well, you know, whenever you've got about 45 minutes to kill, you can, you know, all that precious time that is just floating around out there that's free and doesn't cost anything all that time. Uh, you can jump on NHRA's website and try to figure it out. And you can see what I'm talking about with this chaotic, half of last season, half of this season point craziness that's going on because it's really it'll really test what you think you know and what you have no idea about. So um, I just have like a, a, a little more to ask you and then I'll turn it over to um, our other co-hosts and see if they have anything. But I also wanted to recognize that you serve on the Sportsman Racer Advisory Council for Division One, representing stock and super stock. Um, can you explain a little bit more for our listeners and maybe for some of the racers that are listening as well, what does that committee do uh, for the benefit of other sportsman racers? Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, yeah, I've been on the committee now, I've got to think, seven or eight years maybe. Um, but it's, it's one representative out of each division. Um, it's, it's chaired by an NHRA, uh, division director and it happens to be Dave Moan happens to be the chair of the uh, SRAC. And uh, again, one, one racer out of each division representing the division and, and stock super stock's pretty active. Um, we're, we probably have four or five phone calls, conference calls a year, if not more, um, lots of email communications, um, the conference calls typically um, consist of um, not only Dave Moan hosting them, but uh, Josh Peterson's on them, Glenn Gray's on them, uh, oftentimes Pat Chensvos, um, Danny Gracia, um, all from NHRA. Um, and we're responding to requests that, that the racers give to us as, as representatives that we, we – get them on an agenda and then the group reviews them and discusses with them. So it's the feedback and the input that the racers have for us that will, um, you know, just sort of 
discuss and talk out and and get give get everybody's sort of opinion on certain things. Uh, a lot of racers actually even send letters to you know to the tech in in California, which those letters get distributed to the all the uh, the members where we can discuss it and talk about it. Um, matter of fact, one case, I had a call, we had a, a email chain going on today um, about uh, aftermarket cylinder heads and fluid fuel injection and carburetors. Um, and so I, I'd say it's, it's it's a pretty active committee, and it's and I think what's really great from an NHRA perspective is it's not just lip service. You when you've got you know Josh and Glenn and and Danny and Pat and Dave on there. Um, you really have some really good conversations and, and lively debates as to what works and what doesn't work. And, and it can range anything from various rules to, um, you know, the stacking procedure that was going on, you know, and the changes of the stacking procedure or the national event entries. So it's not just limited to, um, you know, stock super stock. A lot of it can be, uh, I mean, we had lively debates as far as, you know, the whole process of tech and how tech's being run at national events and how uh, just the stacking process, um, you know, happens at national events. And, you know, some of the stuff I think NHRA was, was, well, we know they were micromanaging it way too much. And um, there's a lot of value and a lot of our racers um, like to go get in line earlier and hang out and, and have dinner together and, and and they you know that's half the half the fun is is the camaraderie and being together and so um, you know NHRA listens to us and I can say that um, you know I feel I feel confident that that they do do take a lot of advice from the stock super stock SREC as far as procedures go outside of NHRA the outside of the classes you know or the you know specific things that might be relevant to stock super stock. Um, but it, it's it sort of covers the gambit, and we'll we'll get we'll get into the weeds where we'll talk about specific combinations or or specific races. I can remember it was I think Charlotte two years ago where they had a heads up race in about the fourth about third or fourth round, and and uh, it it affected a lot of cars because both cars triggered it and, and hit it hit the index immediately. They were one twenty under on a what potentially could have been a mine shaft day, but but because of the uh, of the weather or because of the the weather limited qualifying it wasn't mine shaft before elimination so um you know i'd say it's a pretty active group um uh and they nhra does listen and takes a lot of a lot of advice and input from the uh you know from the src or src so i think it's a i think it's a well-respected group by nhra and i think it's a you don't find committees that i think oftentimes um work well together um, because it was, it was several years ago, I can remember meeting Glenn Gray at Indy, and I said, if it's, you know, it, it, it wasn't working at that time years ago, and you know, I just said, well, if you know, I'm out, I'm out if that's the way this is going to be. Not saying that they should change it for for anything that I do or I say, but it just wasn't working. And I, you know, pointed, you know, trying to point out to Glenn, you guys, you could really take advantage of this. I mean, there's this, this can be a real asset if you use it properly. And um, and I think they really do. I think they, they take advantage of it and listen to it. I can't speak on behalf of how the. I don't think there's many controversial things, you know, and that go on between you know you know top and top or the super categories um, or competition eliminator, um, because there's an SRAC group for for all the categories. Alcohol has one. 
Uh, Comp has one. You know, Frank Aragon is that representative for Division, Division One. Uh, for Top and Top, it's Ken Moses, and for the super categories, it happens to be uh, Jack Sapanic. Um, and so we try and be, we try and be the voice for the racers. For sure, I think that that's something that um, kind of bridges that gap. So you don't have a bunch of angry people with torches. I mean, you still sometimes get angry people with torches marching up to um, some of the officials. But um, I think that it's an organized way to solicit comments from the racers and kind of organize it in how can we make this organization a little bit more for the racer, um, being that you guys are all are all racers too. Um, so I call you guys gonna... the Knights of the Round Table because I just think that it's like when you all get together, <laughs> it's, uh, something's about to happen. <laughs> so, um, I, I want to thank you guys for serving on that as well, you know, and your part in that. So now that the race season is, you know, officially over um, and we have some downtime between now and the banquet, super exciting time of year um, as well, you've got a little bit more time for another sport that I know that you are just incredibly invested in, um, what little time is left of it. So I have to ask, are you going to be attending the Nebraska-Penn State game this Saturday? I, I leave about 11 o'clock on Friday for that game. Yes, absolutely. I won't miss it. <laughs> I, uh, I forget. I think it was at Maple Grove. Kenny said that was that was that a really pivotal game at, at the national event for you guys? Was there a Big Ten State game that weekend? It wasn't a well. Yes, it was the Pitt, Pitt place Penn, you know, Penn State. So it was a rivalry game. So it was, uh, um, and and typically for the last handful of years, I have literally parked the race car, you know, come football season, and um, and gone to the Penn State games. Um, starting Labor Day and and really stopped racing so I could go to all of them. But this year, you know, being in the points chase in both cars, I said, eh, maybe I, I it's okay if I miss a couple Penn State games. I'll, I'll watch them. I'll watch them from the motorhome. Well, I guess I'll just ask, what is your prediction of the final score for the Penn State Nebraska game this weekend? <clears throat> okay, final score for Penn State Nebraska. I'm going to take Penn State. 42 to 7. All right, I'm writing that and down. And I don't even know what the spread is. I have no idea what the spread is. But at 42 to 7, yeah, Penn State. Okay, all right. Well, Ken, it's been an absolute pleasure. Congratulations again on a championship season. Um, I'll be so excited to celebrate and grab some dessert with you at the uh, banquet, you know, assuming that you're going to be there to accept your award. Um, and congratulations again. Thanks so much for being on Wheels Up Radio tonight. Thanks so much, Kelly. I appreciate it. And absolutely, we'll see. We'll get together at Hershey. But and, and thanks for thanks everybody and um, you know uh, for having me on. And I appreciate the time. And and and, and thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome, Kent. Um, what I'd like to do, if you got just another minute or two to spare. Um, let Rob jump in and ask a question or two, and then Mike. Is that all right? Of course, yeah. All right. Uh, go ahead, Keister. Hey, Ken. How are you, bud? Good, Rob. How you doing, bud? Good, good. 
Uh, well, congratulations on the uh, the championship. Uh, definitely was pulling for you to, to win both of them. Um, uh, you know, great job on on that for the season, and definitely look forward to you seeing you at Hershey with the the speech. <laughs> it's always a fun time. I need to get Al Kenny to write my speech for me. I, I'm not I'm not that great at it, so hopefully mine's going to be <laughs> short and sweet. <laughs> I, I actually think a lot of people kind of hope that everyone's is short and sweet because uh, I know uh, Kelly can attest that uh, everybody gets a little mad when the Bears den is closed by the time the banquet's over with. So <laughs> if, if I'm yeah. not, you all, you all can throw something at me and say, hey, Kent, remember, remember you said it was going to be short and sweet, all right? <laughs> well, Kelly actually covered all the questions I had for you. So, uh, you know, um, once again, great job. And uh, I'll see you in Hershey in about, uh, I don't know, about – Eight, eight weeks or so. Sounds great, Rob. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. No problem. <clears throat> okay, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, Ken, congratulations again on a great season. And um, my dad had a picture. The first time I remember seeing you, I was in high school. It was a 93 Dutch Classic when you had the car that I know it was Sonny Stahl ended up with it. It was that DZ302 D-Stock Camaro. That, from the grandstand, that looked like just a fun ride. Yeah, it was It was a pretty special car. You know, I, I bought that, you know, as a, as a six-cylinder, three-on-the-tree car back in high school and um, <clears throat> converted it you know, into a race car as soon as I bought it. I bought it for 300 bucks, and from a kid that worked at the gas station with me, we both pumped gas together there. And um, it started its racing life as an F-stock automatic, and then uh, I just struggled with the automatic stuff. And a, and a friend of mine is, is the guy who owns Indy, Indy Gear, Wayne Henderson. He had a, a C-Super modified car, and he said, put a stick shift in that thing. And so we put it through, through a four-speed in it and ran G-stick, and then you know, converted it after this wasn't having, I was doing okay with it, but then we converted it to a 302 and, and ran, ran it in E stick for years and, and ended up getting factored down to D stick. But yeah, that was, that was, that was a fun car to drive. And yes, I sold it to Sonny Stahl, uh, probably about 93, I think it was, um, because we built the, we started building the Cavalier then and, 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 uh, brought the Cavalier out in 94. Yeah, my other question, you you touched on the deal with Charlotte a few years ago, and, um, you know, we know that Comp Eliminator, if it's deemed a mineshaft race, the permanent CIC hit goes from 61 under to 66 under. And one thing I kind of, I haven't raced in years, so my agenda doesn't mean anything, but if it's a mineshaft race for stock and super stock, to raise the hit to 125 or 130 under if it's deemed mineshaft, because obviously we know it's fast. So it might have prevented that situation that happened at Charlotte a couple of years ago where in a heads-up run, both the guy that won it and the guy that lost, but they both got horsepower penalties where as if, if the hit would have been moved to, say, 125 or 130 under, maybe they wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. And this was a really lively debate um, because, you know, part of it was the situation was that 
the limited number of qualifying attempts that the racers got that day. And when the mine shaft rule was originally created, and don't quote me 100% on this, but you know, it, you know, it was the fact that if um, that everything went away. So if if it became mine shaft, where it meant the, the you know the the first car in the bottom half of the ladder was quicker than 85 under, um, was was quicker uh, um, then the automatic horsepowering factoring system went away completely, and it didn't exist. Um, and then, and, and it took a long time to create what that fair number should be, you know, sh- should it be 8,500, should it be 7,500, should it be nine, nine under? Cause as you, as you know, with the a, a uh, automatic horse packing factoring system is your car gets triggered if you go a second under, um, and that just, your, your car gets triggered. And after uh, that combination goes a second under twice, then it's subject for review during that review period. But if the car, any car goes at any time, goes faster than 120 under, it automatically gets factored and gets horsepower on Tuesday. Um, and the thought was, and the discussion was with the group was, it's one thing about taking the automatic factoring away and not having the one-second trigger apply, but the, this, where I think everybody felt was fair was if somebody's going 120 under, even on a good day, that that combination is really fast and not every car can go 120 under even on our very fast day. So the 120 under stuck and said, you know what, even on a fast day, if somebody goes 120 under the, the automatic course powering factoring system is trying to level the playing field and try and keep these, some of these combinations that are, um, you know, that, you know, guys, guys sandbag guys play games. You know, they, you know, they know what the deal is. So um, if they, and that's why that 120 under came in and there was even discussion about, um, well, should we retroactively make it a mine shaft race, which would be absurd, you know, and, but I think where NHRA missed the boat on that deal was NHRA should have called it a mine shaft race before eliminations, just knowing how, how crazy the weather was that day. And I think if they had done that, that would have solved a lot of the problems, but hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy for us to second guess it at the time, you know. And I know some people have said that, no matter what, in any heads-up run between stock and super stock, horsepower shouldn't be handed out at all. You should just let them run for it. But I'm not, not 100% sure if I agree with that. And, and believe it or not, we talked about this here probably last month um, on the SRAC. And what's what's funny is we 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 get a lot of people submitting like, okay, here's a better SR, here's a better. Um, uh, automatic horsepower and factoring system. And reality is, is what we, as a group, we discussed openly said, you know, what we've done is the, the horsepower and factoring system is, is in place for a reason. It's in place to take fast cars that might not be factored properly and adjust them. And we sort of looked in the mirror and said, you know, all we've done with that system is reduce the opportunities to really make it work. Um, I don't think there's a better mathematical way of doing it, but if you think about what what's happened over the several last few year, last several years is is to allow cars to run fast and you know we took the HFS was taken away from national opens so cars could go fast. Then then it was taken away. Okay, let's take it away at Indy. At Indy, you know, let's create the automatic. You know, the 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 um, uh, um, the mine shaft rule. So everything we were doing was taking away 
from the system that we were trying to deem as trying to, to level the playing field or at least to adjust cars properly. And so we were sort of all laughing about it, saying the system probably would work if we just keep our hands out of it and let it do what it's supposed to do. Um, you know, because either you're going to sit there and say, okay, let's, let's just let everybody run as fast as they want to, or are we going to have a system that um, adjusts, the, adjusts the real fast combinations and the underfactor combinations? Because um, if you remember why it was established day one was everybody got frustrated in California and the fear of favoritism was, was out there where it's like, okay, somebody, you know, if you're not friends with Danny, you know, you're going to get factored. And no one knew why cars got factored or they assumed it. And so the whole idea was to try and make it very transparent as to why cars are factored and when cars should be factored. Um, and, of course, Indy is the perfect example of taking away the automatic horsepower factory system at Indy. It says, okay, let's let everybody run the cars out. What it's showing is how many people sandbag all year, <laughs> you, you know, and that's probably the one race that, that you're really going to see how cars really perform, and we don't have a system that will adjust them based upon that. You know? Right. Well, very cool. Yeah, the automatic horsepower factoring system is definitely something that I, I think we could probably talk every day for a week about, no doubt. So... But uh, and, and, we, and we get a lot, wanna, of a lot of requests. Oh, I'm sure you do. But um, I wanted to say thank you for coming on and and hanging out with us. It was uh, it was a privilege to talk to you, and I look forward to seeing you around uh, Division One next summer. Sounds great, and I pre appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. All right, you're very welcome. All right, Kent Hanley, everyone. Thank you for joining us. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And as soon as I get down to the commercial section, because I was not prepared, as usual, but that's okay. And we will be right back. Are you looking for reliable auto repair, a place that genuinely is invested in your auto care experience? Southern New Hampshire Undercar has you covered, from basic auto repair and maintenance to custom exhaust work. Owner Dan Christopher has been in the auto business for over 20 years. You can look them up online at southernnewhampshireundercar.com or give them a call at 603-329-6650. All right, we are back. Uh, Kelly, guest number yeah. two is on the line waiting to talk to you. All right. Well, I'll do a little bit better of a job jocking it back to you, Rob. Uh, I guess I oh, I just rhymed too. Um, that was weird. I guess I just totally did not realize what was going on. So, anyways, getting back to what I was saying, a little bit earlier, I kind of had a slight deviation about how NHRA really, um, pardon my French, screwed the pooch on their website, and um, so I really had to test my self-docking abilities online um, because the page was showing the completely wrong points for other seasons and whatnot. Anyways, you've already heard this. Um, so thank God the Internet is a glorious place because I had to um, spend a little bit more time searching and learning about our next guest, um, and there's plenty of stuff out there. This guy has done a lot. Uh, Jag Race Illustrated 30 Under 30 Class of 2016, a multi-motorsport competitor from a young age. 
Um, Southern California's own 2017 Top Alcohol Funny Car World Champion, Shane Westerfield. How are you doing, Shane? Oh, good. How about you guys? Good. We're glad to have you. Welcome to Wheels Up. Yeah, thank you for having me. Never never been on the show before, so excited to be a part of it. We're, we're excited to be part of your added to the resume, if you will. Um, <laughs> so correct me if I'm wrong. You started out um, go-kart racing, is that right? And then you moved into junior dragsters, and then you switched over to drag boats. Correct. Then, yeah, my dad actually did the drag boat thing first, and then we did. And then once uh, he got out of that, I was six years old, so he put me in a go kart, and then we went from there to the juniors, and then back to the boats, and then now into car racing again. <laughs> so you've you've uh, experienced quite a few different types of motorsports. Some people just stick into drag racing and just stay with it, but. Um, I think that it takes a special kind of driver and a gifted driver to be able to change into different kinds of motorsports. Um, but I think the passion's still there to go fast and fast and loud, just drive it all. Um, so around 2009 or 2010, you made the switch um, from the drag boat back into um, or being involved in that type of motorsport to driving the top alcohol funny car? Correct, yes. And you've done that consistently since since around 2010, right? Correct. Yeah, we uh, we finished up our boat season in 2009, and uh, my dad had just had back surgery, so he couldn't drive the boat anymore. And I I actually wanted to go boat racing, but he uh, him and my mom both agreed that the car side of it was probably a little bit safer and had a longer future in it. And, uh, so we took the motors out of the boat and uh, sold the boat and went and bought a bought our first race car at the end of. I think it was the end of 2009, so we were preparing to get ready for 2010. So what what kind of drew you back into, I mean, Top Alcohol Funny Car, there are plenty of other things, other types of cars that you could have driven or classes to jump into, but you went straight to the top and you said, no, screw that, I'm going fast. What put you into Top Alcohol Funny Car? Um, it was really, we, we knew eventually that's where we wanted to get, and um you know, we had already had a similar motor to what the alcohol funny car guys were running. We had to change blowers and injector, but we had a couple of Brad Anderson motors that were pretty much ready to go. Um, and the fact was that we knew we were going to get there at some point and probably we're going to save a bunch of money than having to work our way through all the classes and just go right to it and, and figure it out. And um, one of our good family friends is Dale Worsham, and he pretty much took the same approach. They had a, a – a running fuel funny car and he was I think 19 years old at the time and instead of going through all the steps and sometimes the steps from what I've been told almost screw you up because you get in different routines and there's different different factors of driving each car and uh, so if you just go right to what you're going to do and that's all you know and that's all you're going to learn sometimes that actually helps you out so that was our that was our approach and that's what we did and it uh, I, I think it paid off <laughs> I may have skipped a few steps here and there but that's that's what I know for sure, I say I say that the season is definitely uh, proof that it paid off. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't I don't want to ignore the elephant in the room, uh, but you just earned a world championship. Um, have you previously <laughs> held any other divisional titles before this world championship? 
Uh, not in car racing, no. No, in the, in the same year, but not just the national championship. We were able to wrap up our first regional championship. So we've been we've been second in that uh, a couple of times, and uh, but never. I think we've been third in the nation. We've been third, fourth, fifth, eighth, and tenth. We've been kind of all around the top ten, and that was always our goal: just to always try to finish in the top ten in the nation. And then uh, the last couple of years, we've been trying to finish top five, and then. Uh, we just started out really strong this year. It wasn't really our plan to go chase a championship, but we were we were able to win the first three races that we went to. So at that point, it was kind of like game on. We can't can't stop now, and uh, just just kind of stay consistent from that point on. Just went rounds at each race. We didn't really change our game plan. We didn't really change combinations. We just ran with what we had. And there were other cars that were faster than us and quicker than us, but we uh, like I said, we just went up and down the racetrack and uh, just ended up winning. I think 31 or 32 rounds this season, and that's uh, that's what got it done for us. Quite a few rounds, um, especially in you know in those classes. That's a lot of rounds to go, um, and a lot of you know it takes a lot of gut determination. We won't ignore money. It takes you know it's a lot. It's a lot of dedication to be able to make it that far. And the first three races you went to to win them, I'd sure say that that's you know, kind of put the fire under your ass to keep going and you find a way to make it, to make it work at that point. Cause you only need. So oh yeah. With, to yeah. Without yeah. a doubt, we got the sponsors rounded up at that point and said, all right, you guys want to keep hitting it hard. Cause that once we got past that point, we had just left Vegas and uh, we had to start traveling at that point, going to Texas and Kansas and, uh, and then head over to Chicago. And it, you know, it was, took a lot of time and, time and money and effort and whatnot wanted to keep going and everyone was on board. So we, uh, we went for it, so to speak. Hey Rob, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Did you have any questions? I can keep going. If you, if you just want me to just keep asking or. If no, I mean, I, I got a, I got a few I can ask them. I mean, um, Hey Shane, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good, man. Good. Um, so I guess uh, for you is when did when did everything become a reality that you know there was a chance that you could win the world championship because I mean you know not to take anything away from you every time you watch something on like FS1 really the big talk was John Lombardo or Annie Whiteley and then you know kind of like here comes Shane Westerfield and so you know I mean when when did that like kind of like go, hey, man, we should be contenders here, and we should be the ones, you know, you know, that possibly can win the world championship also. Yeah, I know. I think for not just Fox, but a lot of people, probably even including our competitors, we just we kind of snuck in the back door there. You know, everyone was so focused on either trying to go low ET or top speed of the world and, you know, who could who could spend the most money, and we uh, we just kind of did our thing, man. We, you know, we like I said, we tried to stay competitive. We didn't try to you know hurt the parts and we didn't uh we were top four of qualifying every race but one this year so we were we were always up there we were able to you know cut a good light here and there and uh just maintain consistency is all we did and you know a lot of people at times were they did be real fast or they'd go out and they shake or smoke the tires and and it seems like no one could really stay consistent in the class this year from from all the other people that were around us that were second third or fourth you know they were They'd be fast one race and then they'd be off another and they'd be fast one and then back off maybe one or two. And we just, we just maintained what we were doing all year. I think that's why we, uh, we ended up winning. Cool. So now, 
you know, you clinched it in, in Vegas, and Pomona kind of just was like, you know, let's test some things out if we want to for next year or just go out and race and have some fun. And the banquet was Monday night. You know, you got to say your speech and all that stuff. So now we're looking at Wednesday. Has it sunk in yet? Uh, it's getting there. We, uh, for our normal business, uh, we design and build custom trade show exhibits. And um, right before we left for Vegas, we started getting incredibly busy. The guys start doing 10, 12, 14-hour days, and now we're on 16-hour days. So I, we literally parked the truck in the trailer alongside the shop, and I just dug my head back into the uh, – to the business side of it the last couple of days and it'll be like this for the next few weeks until we get through PRI. I probably probably won't even get to look at the car until then, but I got the trophies sitting here in my office and I deposited my check yesterday. So that was, uh, that was pretty rewarding. So that kind of reminded me that what we did and then uh, talking to you guys, you know, other than that, just been back, back focusing on, on making money and staying busy over here. And, uh, but I'm sure once we roll around, get past all this at the shop here, we get ready to start getting ready for Pomona, and I get to design my number one for the side of the car. It'll it'll definitely hit me again. Cool. Now, you know, that was actually one thing I, I put out on my questionnaire thing for you is what you do when you're not racing is that you design, you know, uh, trade exhibits for, you know, for trade shows and stuff. And uh, one of my previous jobs was I was on the trade show market and went around and stuff for, uh, for restaurants. But I mean, okay. You know, what are, what are some, I mean, like, you know, I, the trade show business is a, it's a crazy, crazy world, I guess you would say. But, um, you know, like do you do stuff for like restaurants. Is it for automotive? I mean, what, what, you know, what is, what is your business? We do a little bit of everything. You know, we've done, we're uh, really big in the music industry, really big in the medical industry. Um, obviously, my forte when I start getting really involved is when we start doing stuff for the automotive side of it, for like the SEMA show or PRI show, just because obviously that can mix mix that in with the racing side of it. And um, But we've dabbled in a little bit of everything. We've done some restaurant business businesses before. Um, you know, like I said, just anything, you know, anything that, that needs to be displayed, you know, we've, we've pretty much done it before. And, uh, but right now this kind of turns into our busy season. We have, uh, two big medical shows we're getting ready for, and then we get ready for winter NAM in January. And we have seven or eight different exhibits we do there. Um, so it just from here until basically Q1 of Pomona, it's going to be crazy. We train, trying to, trying to get the car ready and, uh, trying to keep the business afloat. Cool. Now, I probably know the answer to this question because being a world champ is, like, something that will go down, you know, you know, immensely in your resume and stuff. But world champion or when you doubled up the Jags All-Stars last year? <laughs> uh, definitely world champion. That's uh, That'll be obviously well that Jags All-Stars. I'll, I'll never forget that. You know, I have a couple of really cool highlights in my, my racing career. I was thinking that as I was driving to work this morning, you know, it's – three of them really stick out to me. And the, uh, the first one was when we were able to uh, beat Frank Manzo in Dallas, 2013 in the final, he had gone 42 consecutive uh, final round wins. Every time we got to a final round, he would win. And we, we broke that streak and just getting, just getting a racing was so cool. And then also, uh, I mean, the Shane, double up chain, the, the cut you off on that one real quick. If any of those guys don't, any of you guys don't know, you are the last guy to beat Frank Manzo before he retired. Right. In a final round. Yeah, Wasn't yeah, it? that was yeah. that was yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty exciting, you know. I some people remember that. That was uh that was the week before I got married, so it was, there was all kinds of 
exciting stuff going on at, at one time. But, uh, but that obviously definitely sticks out. And it wasn't just beating him. You know, the same day we beat Lombardo, we beat Whiteley, and then we beat John, or then we beat, uh, excuse me, Frank. So it was, you know, three big hitters in a row we were able to take out. And that was my first national event win as well. So it, all, it made it pretty exciting for that. And then, uh, yeah, then to do the Jags All-Stars, that was definitely exciting. That was a kind of a last-minute decision to go. My daughter had just been born, and uh, she was, oh, a month and a half old, and we – we piled in the Totorhome, me, my wife, my daughter, my dad, and we drove to Chicago and won the race and then drove down to Dallas, had some family and friends there. We partied there for a couple of days and then drove home. So we were we were gone for two weeks and about a week and a half they were celebrating. <laughs> so that, that made it pretty fun. And then uh yeah, and then winning the championship, you know, between those three, um I'm pretty excited with the uh the career I've had so far. You know, we've been we haven't been doing it nearly as long as some of the other people have, but what we've accomplished is uh is is pretty exciting in my world. Cool. Now, I mean, like, you know, I met you Frank Manzo because, you know, any of us, me, Kelly, Mike, or even Chris, you know, we're all from the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey. You know, Kelly's from Maryland. We're all Division One guys. So Frank's like a, an icon out here to us. I mean, you know, every time we go to the division race, Frank's like number one qualifier, win the race, you know, type deal. So, you know, it, that's it's, it's quite an accomplishment. So. No, oh, yeah, it was it was very cool. Like I said, just to get to race him, I I had raced him the weekend before in Charlotte, and I was so nervous. I left out as the tree was coming down. I had like a minus two hundred red light. I was just I was so jazzed. I got to go against Frank Manzo. I forgot how to even drive my own race car, so I had to compose myself the following weekend when it came time to do it again. And of course, it was fine around. You know, it was one of them deals, but we were able to able to pull it off. Cool. Now I know you also dabbled a little bit in Nitro Funny Car and the Warsham Car. Is there any things to possibly do that in the future? You know, I don't know. A lot of people ask me that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old now, and uh, I got a, you know, this is my family business that I w- work with here with my dad and uh, my uncles here and a couple of the relatives that come in and out. So between doing that and then getting, you know, go race with them, we do 15, 14 to 15 races a year with that. And then plus I like going to the river a lot with them, and I got a little hot rod boat I play with and, I think a lot of that would go away going to Nitro Funny Car. Um, yeah. And I don't get me wrong, if a if a good opportunity came about, like a a big pro team, you know, really wanted to go do it for a year or two, I would. I guess you could say I probably want to go try just to see, but I don't know if I would want to make it my my full time career. You know, I, I love being able to race with with my family and go with my friends. You know, all my crew guys are some of my best friends, and uh, I think that's part of the reason why we are successful as as we are. Just we all get along so well and. You know, there's no arguments going on, and we just we have a good time. And I would hate to throw all that away just to go go try to go do the the nitro thing, you know. And it, but don't get me wrong, it was fun. I got to try it. Um, I got to win a round in Charlotte in 2015. Got to beat about the only guy that knew me in the class. That was Robert Height. You know, he lives down the street from here, and a great great friend of mine as well. But uh, it was it was neat. It was a cool experience. If I got to do it again, yeah, I would probably go try. I just don't know about doing it full-time you know just because of everything that you've got to sacrifice to make it happen cool and uh Very i guess cool. the last question i got i'm sorry no go ahead Rob, last, sorry. last question i got for you shane is um and i asked everybody is, what's the favorite track what's that one track that you like circle on the calendar and you can't wait for that that race to come around for you to go to i could say the one i love the most and the one i hate the most and it's the same place <laughs> and that's uh pomona <laughs> and you know <laughs> It's your home track. All your family and friends want to be there, and the sponsors want to be there. It makes it stressful, but 
if you can win the race, which we were able to do that at the Winter Nationals at the beginning of the year, it's definitely the best one because they're all there to celebrate and party with you. And uh, your phone doesn't ring as much off the hook because they're all right there celebrating. And it makes it makes it that much more fun. And then you get to go back to your own bed at night. So um, probably Pomona. You know, I, I grew up going there with my dad. We never missed a race there from the time I could remember. I think my first race there was uh, November of 91. And um, I don't think we missed a race since. So it was always cool to go and, you know, wait in line, buy a ticket, hear the alcohol cars running, hear the fuel cars running. And uh, now I get to drive to the gate and I put a helmet on now. So it makes it makes it fun. Plus, got to run my junior dragster there, and, and uh, just a lot of a lot of good memories at that racetrack. Cool, cool. Well, very, very cool. Well, listen, Shane, I I know you're busy, and um, but I wanted to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on and hang out with us for a little bit. I really appreciate it, and obviously, congratulations on your championship, and uh, hopefully, we'll get to talk to you some more next year. Awesome. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having me on here. Thanks, You're Jane. very welcome. All right. Thanks, Jane. Jane Westerfield, your 2017 Top Alcohol Funny Cart National Champion, hanging out with us. All right, guys, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. Um, Kelly, can you hang out, or do you have th- do you have a thing? Uh, I can hang out. I don't have a thing. I'm just hungry, so I have to go sit up. Go make a, go make a sandwich. We'll go take it. We'll or take a commercial <laughs> break, and you can go we'll make go a sandwich. Pop-tart. Pop-tart, oh, that's all. Oh, you know what? We're gonna. We should. That's all. Oh, Rob, thank I you for eight, telling me Rob this. Just, Rob just did the countdown. I have eight weeks to fit in the banquet dress, so I think I can still eat pizza eight weeks out. I think that's okay. We'll skip the commercial. Have you ever put butter on a Pop-Tart? It's so friggin' good. Have you ever put butter on a Pop-Tart? If you haven't, then I think you should. I was sitting in the kitchen one day, and I was itching to fill up my belly with the piping hot jelly of the best damn treat in the world. He's talking Pop-Tart. And I saw a stick of butter, and it almost made me shudder and scream like a baby girl. I don't want a giant penis or a rocket trip to Venus. I don't want to win the lottery. <laughs> I just want to squat and gobble till... All right, all right. Steve Parsons <laughs> is probably wondering, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Yeah, that was a strange commercial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> Rob, uh, would you be so kind as to introduce our next guest? Uh, sure. He's uh, he's one of my own. He's a super gas racer himself. Uh, he is 2017 World Finals winner in super gas. Uh, please welcome the Wheels Up Radio, Mr. Steve Parsons. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here, guys. Oh, welcome. Welcome. So, uh, you know. <laughs> nice. So as you can tell, we're all we're all a little goofy and loony, uh, especially about an hour and a half into the show. Um, so, uh, you know, <laughs> we're definitely yeah, we're I definitely all you. not right. We're definitely yeah. well, number one. We race. We all race. Uh, that well, me and Kelly race, and uh, Mike used to race. So we definitely aren't right in the head. So, uh, so yeah. But uh, I guess. I guess take us a little through, you know, your weekend. How how did things go at Pomona? Of course, you know, you you won after uh, Mike uh, Wish, 
I'm, I can't say the last name, but uh, Red Legend Whipple in the final Hauser. round. Whip, yeah, yeah, Whipple well, Hauser. <laughs> Whipple Hauser, yeah. Um, well, I raced two cars. I raced Super Gas and Super Comp as well. And um, my day started out uh, first time running the uh, Dragster Super Comp car and uh, kicked the rods out of it. So it didn't start out too good. But funny story, my neighbor had an extra Super Comp car. So I was able to uh, actually race that class as well. So that was that was kind of cool. Cool. I mean, I guess it was um, it wasn't it wasn't cool. Number one, you kicked the rods out of the out of the car, but you know, at least we were able to compete in both both uh, both categories. Yeah, right, right. So you know, it, practice makes perfect, right? So if you can hit the tree in more than one car, you actually it helps, you know. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the the super gas and how you uh you know how you how you got there and was there anybody you had to beat that was tough I mean it definitely was a lot of things on the line that weekend with uh with the world championship with with uh Johnny Laboose and Chris Cannon and all that you know going on and stuff like that. Yeah, that drama was pretty cool. You know, um, I saw as I was going up for first round, I saw Laboose hiding in the in the wings waiting for Cannon to drive up. I think he wanted to try to get him, but it didn't work out. Cannon went a different way to the uh, starting line. So <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of funny to see all that happening. But, uh, you know, for me, uh, first round was probably my my lucky round because you know, I had the guy by 20, uh, 24 on the tree, which was okay. But um, at best, I was going to run a 993. But luckily, uh, I took a new strategy this weekend. Everybody – my my super gas car is really fast, so I'm chasing pretty much everybody. It it goes 990, anywhere from 172 to 175. So what I've been normally doing is just driving around them and just taking a little stripe. Well, this weekend I decided I would drive around them and then maybe just uh, let them take the stripe. And I never got to the finish line first, and I won every round unless it was a red light. Then I would you know run it out. So um, my new strategy worked. It was kind of fun that to, in the past, if I had ever done that, I was like, gosh, I just lifted and I was on a 90. Shouldn't have done that. But uh, got lucky with it and uh, pulled it out because, like I said, first round I was on a, like a 94. And I, I went 94.5 for the win. So I, I dumped it a little bit off. But uh, luckily I came out of the win and into that. Um, the fourth round – was kind of a uh, hectic because we raced this was on Saturday we had two more rounds and scheduled later for a fourth round well as you know it's uh the schedule is always subject to change so we got bumped to the next day so it, you know you start researching your competitor and seeing what their car's doing and it just gets a lot in your head so actually on that run it was kind of lucky too he had me by about eight thou in a tree but luckily again my theory worked i went down and pushed him out and uh the funnest race really was against robert neighbor uh because i at half track i caught him and i just kind of toyed with him the rest of the way down the track so that that was fun and he's a great racer and to to be that far ahead on the starting line was a was a blessing for me because i think i went uh I was 14 on the tree, 990 with a one down eight miles an hour. So that that was a big one for me. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, neighbor, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good racer and, you know, I know he went to Jags all-stars, I think this year or last year, I'm not too sure, but you know, I yeah. know he's won the winter nationals, winter nationals a couple of times. So, uh, you know, so I guess for you, yeah. I mean, what's your, what's your favorite track? I mean, you know, is, is Pomona yeah. that track that, you know, you, you circle or is it like maybe Sonoma or, um, you know, well, as far as racing goes, uh, Pomona is my favorite track. Um, I don't know if you know much about my racing, but in 2005, I won the Winter Nationals in my old school Camaro. You know, I had his gold card. I won the, round the year before. I'm like, what am I going to do with this thing? And everybody's like, oh, race Super Gas. So I go race Super Gas, Winter Nationals. I win the first race. I'm like, gosh, that's easy, you know, compared to bracket <laughs> racing. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, Two years later, I upgrade my ride. I take the engine out of my Camaro. I bought the Corvette. It's a Charlie Stewart Corvette. It's the number one car he built, the first car he ever built. Okay. I bought that car from him, put the engine in my Camaro and that, and I gained 12 miles an hour and a lot of visibility. And uh, in 2007, I won the finals in that car. I'm like, gosh, you know, this is easy. Every two years, I can win a national event. Well, that took me 10 years to get back there. You know, it was kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was kind of tearing up as I was pulling up to do my burnout. I'm like, don't screw this up. And uh, luckily enough, um, Mike went red by 16,000, but I was ready for him. I was uh, 11 on the tree, and I went uh, and I ran it out on that one. I was uh, uh, 989.5. So yeah, I, I had something yeah. for him if he was green, you know. Yeah, I was watching but, yeah, them all. It's, it's, yeah, it was a sweet win, I'll tell you. It just You know, when you go 10 years – at, at that racetrack and hadn't won, you know, I, I got close a few times. Uh, a few years back uh, in Vegas, I got to the final against Trevor Larson, and they were hot lapping us, and my car didn't like it. And when I went to stab it, get on a converter, it bogged. I looked down, you know, it's your natural instinct to look down, see what's going on, and the tree came down. I was like 150 uh, on the tree, you know, done deal. So it was yeah, good to redeem yeah. myself for sure. Now, do you uh, basically run just the NHRA races, the division races, national events, or is there – I mean, I know they have a circuit out there. They have, like, an association, that the SoCal Pro Gas Association. Do you run any of those yeah. races, or is it just – Yeah, I do all the Pro Gas stuff, uh, and I've done pretty good in that. Um, I came real close to winning that a few years back, and it came down to the final race, and it was windy, and the guy was going to race – uh, I was 10 points behind him with one round and uh, they called the race due to wind. And he, I was like, I was telling him, Hey dude, I'll just run you down the track, arm wrestle you, whatever. Let's just get this done. And he didn't want to do it. So he got the, all the money and the trip to Hawaii and I got nothing. Oh, that sucks. But Man, I really, yeah. But it's a, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a great association. They're great racers. Um, Mike Whipplehauser also races that association. So there's a, there's a lot of great racers that do that association, and most of them are usually down to the final cars. As, as far as uh, Robert Neighbor is, races uh, the SoCal Pro Gas as well. So there's a lot of great racers in that association. Yeah. Yeah, I actually run a similar – I'm the president of the association out east here, the Mid-Atlantic.90 Association. So I have all three. I have Super Gas, Super Comp, and Super Street. And uh, when wow. I had – when I had took over Supergas, probably, 
don't know, 2012 or so, uh, Greg Ventura is the person I emailed to try to get the, some, uh, just try to get some, you know, tidbits and things like that. Or was it the, how the series ran out there and what, you know, might uh-huh. we do some changing out here. So Greg was, Greg was uh, the president at the time of the series. Yeah. Um, and, and he helped me out immensely. And, you know, I still talk to Greg ever so often and just, you know, just see how things are going. And I, I, I make it out to, to Chandler, Arizona for the division race probably every every four or five years or so. I'm planning on hopefully in yeah. 2018 to make it out there. So so hopefully yeah. if, I, if you're out there, I'll stop by and say hi. Yeah, I didn't go last year, but uh, I do miss going out there. So there, I don't know if you know the Blodgents. They're we we rail we all race together. You Mike Blodgett, Matt Blodgett, they're all great. I know them. Well. Yeah, I mean I know them just from being in the dragster and seeing them at the SoCal Pro Gas races or it was. But yeah. uh, you know the the name's very very uh very familiar to me. Yeah, that's that's our group. Uh, Ed Open, you know he's one of our group. Uh, Terry Kennington, he got to the semis there in Pomona. Mm-hmm. We were hoping to race each other in the final, but yeah, um, we didn't go last year just because of the parking situation, all the drama that goes on there. So, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. It's a, it's a, such a mess there. It really is. Yes. Cause you know, if you get out in the dirt there, it just really sucks. But, uh, I think I'm going to go next year. The heck with it. Whether they go or not, yeah. I'm going. <laughs> so hopefully I'll see you out there. So you yeah, race uh, yeah, gas. Yeah. I race super gas out on, out on the East coast, but, uh, my, uh, one of my best friends um, runs Top Dragster and Top Sportsman, so I go out there and help them out um, uh, during, you know, during the off season out here when it's 13 or 14 inches of snow out 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 here. Yeah. I jump on a plane and let it go out the 80 degree weather in Arizona for five or six days. Oh yeah, for sure. That's an awesome time. Yeah. yeah. So they got they yeah, have like deal. four cars. So. Who is that? Uh, Taylor's John Taylor. Uh, are they from out here or out, out from where you're yeah, at? Yeah, well, the the dad and the brother live in Queen Creek, Arizona, and uh, oh, and they okay. have a they have a '38 um, truck that's like a with it's like red, white, and blue with a blower on it, and then uh, oh, they wow. have a couple of top dragsters. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that so, that class is on. getting out of control. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, it's definitely I mean, nuts. The, so. Yeah, there's some fast, fast cars in that class. Yeah, we we get the we get the uh, the deal of looking at Division Three sometimes because you know right where we're at, and you know some Division Three guys will come over and play with us, at, like at Maple uh-huh. Grove or um, like English Town. You know those those type tracks will come out and play with us or was, and you know for them. You know, six thirty or you know, you have to be six thirty or faster to make their thirty-two car field. And we're lucky if we have maybe four or five cars in top dragster that will go under six thirty out here in Division One. So they, it's like right. a famine for them. You know, they come out here and play with us. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. So. Yeah, that's crazy. So I guess I'll, I'll turn it over to, to Kelly real quick if she's still on the line okay. and uh, see if she has any questions get her for sandwich? you. I don't know. Yeah. Or Pop-Tart. I'm not too sure what she what she got. <laughs> no. So what had happened was 
while you guys were having this intellectual conversation about racing and life and all these wonderful things that are going on in Steve's life, uh, mm. my roommate was asking me about what kind of pizza we wanted to order. So, yeah, I'm, like, super embarrassed to admit that I pretty much missed, like, everything that you guys had talked about. Uh, luckily, I have this all recorded, and I can go back and listen to it. Um, so I don't exactly know what what Rob had already touched on, but he's incredibly thorough and a question-asking extraordinaire. So I don't want to redo the work that he's already done. Um so I guess I'll just I'll just let someone else take it for now, and I'll come up with something intellectual to say. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> I am so sorry. I apologize. I I That's all right. really don't like to fall asleep with the controls like that. But when she said pizza, I said <laughs> when and what kind, and it was just like oh, incredibly embarrassing. I hear you. Hey, hey, Kelly. Yeah. What? Kelly, <laughs> this is for you. This is for you. Oh, you Lord. suck. I do. I totally, no, I deserve that. I, actually, I deserve that, so that's fine. Uh, I'll take it. And, um, yeah, I'll, just, I'll sit in my corner and with my dumb cap on. <laughs> you, you and the dog <laughs> in the corner thinking about pizza, right? We were. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so like I, I said, Steve, we are we are the epitome of professionalism, as you can all see. Oh yeah, it's perfect. It is. <laughs> but uh I have a slip up and sometimes it's really catastrophic and other times it's like why did they even who invited her? And so um right now it's one of those moments where I had just a minor slip up and but it's for everybody's entertainment because there's plenty of people, plenty of people laughing at me. Yes, I am, oh, but that's no. okay. All right, I I will ask the ultimate question to wrap up this most extremely knowledgeable interview that we just had with Steve Parsons. Very good, Steve. You Very have good. complete and total control of the sanctioning body for one day. In that one day, you can affect one change. What would that be, and why would you choose it? Okay, so um, what I would do is uh, make the sportsman racer feel like they're appreciated and wanted to be there. Make us feel like we matter. Uh, we're not just a fill-in. This is this is our our passion. This is what we do because it's our hobby and we love it. And uh, just make us feel like we matter. Um, you know, make us feel important. Right. How's that? That, that? that is very close to the, the, the biggest answer that we've gotten in the almost four years we've been doing this. Um, you know, it's, it kind of goes back and forth between you know, increase the payouts and make us feel like we're part of the show instead of just somebody there to pay the bills, which is yeah, basically I mean, I you know, what I you said. Right. I, I don't do well, it for the money. The really, money's great. But, you know, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Increased payouts would be great. I mean, but just make us feel like we matter. We're just not the, right. you know, the bastard stepchild out there. Right. Right. 
that uh, like I said, that pretty much is that is the top the top two answers that we get. And I think you push that part of it into number one now. Um, that that's yeah. been one of my favorite questions because you can't BS your way through that question. You really can't. No, it's it's you know you're there and you're doing this thing and you're like God, why are they being like this? And it's like. Yeah, you know, it's like we get in the lanes and they're yelling at us to get up there and it's like, you know, give us a minute to, you know, get our, our crap together, you know, get in the car, get our head straight and, you know, right. it's just like get up get up here, hurry up and get out on the track so we can get you out of here. Yep. Hurry it's up, we like have fuel cars to run. Yeah, when I won this year, um, like I I got down to the end of the track and Danny Gracia, tech is the main tech guy. He says, just get out of here. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, just drive up to the front. And he, he was like kind of rude to me. And I, I went up front and I was like, they didn't tell me where to go. I didn't get interviewed by anybody in the past. Like there's a TV guy interviewing me, whether it's on TV or not, I don't care. I just, you want to feel like you're important. You just did something that's really hard right. to do. Right. So I guess that'd be cool. my thoughts. What's yeah. wrong with that? Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and um, to hang out with us. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to talk to you some more in 2018 and, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the time off with your, with your family and get your cars ready to go. And yeah, you know, have a, have a, a good winter, I guess. It's the only way to say it. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's it's good to be recognized doing something good. I appreciate All right. it. You're hey, very I welcome, promise. my friend. I promise on your next All right, you guys have a nice have evening. A redeeming All right, you too, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Okay, All right. All uh, right, Steve Parsons, thank you for coming on and hanging out with us. Appreciate talking to you. It's always fun to talk to people on the West Coast. So, right let's on. see. All right. Kondratic, have you gotten your head together now? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, I tried to, like, say something, but I don't know what happened. So That's all right. So this, this is what I propose. I'm going to give you and Aaron Williams seven minutes to get Steve Torrance out of your system and we'll put that part of life to bed. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. Why, yeah. why is Aaron Williams? Are we, are we putting Aaron Williams on too? Yeah. Yeah, we'll throw Aaron in. We'll, let's throw Aaron right into the friggin' fire on this one. Right, Aaron? Sure thing. Oh, I See? didn't even know he was on here. See? Uh-oh. That's why I have I've control of the button. I've been here for the past minute and a half. You Fantastic. suck. You suck. What? What did I do now? Why did I, what did I do to deserve that? Nothing. You're eating just, pizza and not anybody else. Yeah, well, that's true, too. All right, so listen, seriously. You have seven minutes. Let's beat the Steve Torrance thing into the ground and bury it. Have at it. All right, Kelly, you had the status 
uh, on Facebook. So we're going to let you go with, with your thoughts first. Well, <clears throat> I guess I'll keep it short. I think, first off, for all the people saying, well, you know, he staged the car. He knew what he was getting into. In all reality, where, what other arenas do these guys have to play in? You get the funding to play in this arena. You go and you do it. And you, you play the game as the rules are thought out ahead of you. And who's going to complain about the way the countdown is when you think you're going to do well in it? And then all of a sudden, the game changes up, and somebody comes from, you know, out of nowhere, all, all, seemingly out of nowhere, when you think you've got it locked up. And that's just, the championship just, that's, that's how the system is. And I thought, well, two things. I thought, good on him for speaking his mind. But the second thing I thought was, wow, NHRA drag racing has gotten way more dramatic on TV ever since Fox Sports took over. And I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but all of a sudden we've got all these people, well, we've got lots of shots of Tanner Gray kicking things and throwing things, and Alex Laughlin getting in that fight earlier in the season, and it's just like all of a sudden we've got, um, we're getting great ratings because Alexis DeJore is dropping F-bombs on television, and NHRA Drag Racing just got super dramatic. So those are the two things I thought is like, poor Steve, to me, it seems like he got ripped off a little bit, and when you go to tango with, you know, John Forth Racing and the Don Schumachers of the world, you've got a lot to contend with there. So I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess those are my thoughts about it. And also, if you're going to speak up about something, do your research beforehand because there were several people, I won't say any names, that said, oh, he's just a little crybaby whiner. And I thought to myself, did he even watch the same thing? Because he definitely said, you know, I messed up in this way. I could have done this better. But the countdown system kind of screwed me over. And he, like, went into why that was wrong. He didn't just straight out say, you know, the system's bullshit. Sorry. What are you doing? That's okay. He didn't, he said that, but he didn't, that wasn't all he said, so I think his point was a little bit missed. Aaron, right. what do you have to add now that I'm done talking about it? You you basically took some of the words out of my mouth, but the way I see it, they did it for a reason. They did it for the fans, um, mostly. Um, that's what I think. But just like every major sport, there is something that is called playoffs, and if you can't perform in the playoffs then, hey, and then the, may the best man or woman win or the best team win, and that's the best-case scenario of what has happened. That's all there is to it. Um, he performed before the playoffs in the regular season, and when it came down to it, he couldn't do it in the playoffs. And it got stolen. So, But as far as the, the, um, the television goes, um, I think Fox – with the um, production-wise, I think there's much more, you know, cameras be involved. They're going to be wherever and, and whenever anything happens. Um, the one thing I don't think that I saw that was brought up was the scuffle that um, 
Chad had had with John Force on the starting line. I didn't see that. I just read about it. Um, something about um, John taking dives again and um, running into other people's lanes on purpose uh, after the finish line, uh, which I, I, I don't know why it would even be brought up in that forum. Um, but it's it's just like a sport like anything else, and it just goes back to if you can't perform well, then you don't perform well. All right. That's all, all right, I Rob. think it is. Go ahead, Keister. Uh, my turn? Okay. Batter um, <laughs> up. Batter up. I'll, I'll try up, to keep oh, oh, because I've been, I have been battering and fighting with people on the Internet since Sunday night. So, um, all right, here's my take on it. Steve said what he said or it was because the fact is that he, he doesn't sugarcoat it, and the fact is, you know, everybody's been calling her crybabies and whiner, this and that, because, you know, he supposedly said what he said on the, you know, at the top end interview that it, that was BS, that the countdown is BS, or was. Good for him, because the fact is that he's a self-funded team. He's not going to have the worry about, oh, Mopar might pull my sponsorship, or Penzoil might pull my sponsorship, or it was because of what I said on TV. You know, the money that whatever comes out of his own pocket, and that's what it is. You know, did he not perform in the, in the countdown? Yes, like Aaron said. And Brittany, you know, went to what five finals out of the out of the six races or it was. My thing is, NASCAR NHRA racing doesn't need playoffs. It's just we're not a we're not a stick and ball sport. We don't need playoffs. It's just I don't think you know it should be even there. You should reward somebody for doing twenty four races. You should make the four core races, the Gator Nationals, the Summer Nationals, Indy, and Pomona, make uh, the winner of uh, the World Finals, make them points and a half. And then this way, you know, people are getting points and a half per, you know, per quarter pretty much because the Gators are in the first, the Summers are usually the second quarter, Indy's usually third quarter, and the Finals are the fourth quarter. And this way, you know, everybody's got a chance, you know, throughout the year. Um you know, my gripe and complaint is that Brittany was 562 points behind Torrance. Even if she didn't have a playoff thing or it was, she only made up 141 going into the, you know, pretty much. She wouldn't even finish second when the actual real points came out. She would have finished third because the Antron was actually second. Now, am I hating on her at all? No. Am I hating on Steve Torrance at all? No. It just... You know, I believe that the person, you know, you should be rewarded for your whole entire season, and the playoffs are just – I've hated the playoffs and the countdown, or I don't call it, in NHRA racing since they came out with it. You know, Tim Wilkerson got screwed the first year, and I believe Hot Rod 4 got screwed, I think, the next year with the with the whole way the point system came down. And I just – I don't think it's deserving there. I think, you know, do all 24 races in an era that – Certain core races are worth points and a half or, or double points or whatever it was and give it to them. Right. That's fair enough. All right. So, Aaron, we've got like 30, sec- 30 or 40 seconds left. Do your shout-out, then I'm going to boot you out of here. All right. Well, I, I knew that Jeff was listening, um, and I know Kel's on the show tonight, uh, and I have a little free time at work. Uh, I just wanted to give a you know a shout-out and call in and 
just give Jeff a little bit of praise. Uh, he had a hell of a year. He does a hell of a job. I know firsthand because when he comes down here, I work with him as much as I can and help you guys out at the same cool. time. And the guy does a hell of a job. He busts his butt, and he had a heck of a season. Uh, and I'm I'm just proud uh, of what he got to accomplish this year. And looking forward to 2018. Right. Awesome. Kelly, Rob, thank you very much for your time. Mike, go ahead and say your magic words, and we are going to color ourselves out of here, boys and girls. Have a great Thanksgiving. Yes, good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. And if, well, racing's pretty much over, but good luck if you're doing anything this weekend. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. (laughs) 